The Paper Bag Princess by Robert Munch. Elizabeth was a beautiful princess. She lived in a castle and had expensive princess clothes. She was going to marry a prince named Ronald. Unfortunately, a dragon smashed her castle, burned all her clothes with his fiery breath, and carried off Prince Ronald. Elizabeth decided to chase the dragon and get Ronald back. She looked everywhere for something to wear, but the only thing she could find that was not burnt was a paper bag. So she put on the paper bag and followed the dragon. He was easy to follow because he left a trail of burnt forests and horses' bones. Finally, Elizabeth came to a cave with a large door that had a huge knocker on it. She took hold of the knocker and banged on the door. The dragon stuck his nose out of the door and said, Well, a princess. I love to eat princesses, but I've already eaten a whole castle today. I'm a very busy dragon. Come back tomorrow. He slammed the door so fast that Elizabeth almost got her nose caught. Elizabeth grabbed the knocker and banged on the door again. The dragon stuck his nose out of the door and said, Go away. I love to eat princesses, but I've already eaten a whole castle today. I'm a very busy dragon. Come back tomorrow. Wait, shouted Elizabeth. Is it true that you are the smartest and fiercest dragon in the whole world? Yes, said the dragon. Is it true, said Elizabeth, that you can burn up ten forests with your fiery breath? Oh, yes, said the dragon. And we took a huge deep breath and breathed out so much fire that he burnt up fifty forests. Fantastic, said Elizabeth. And the dragon took another huge breath and breathed out so much fire that he burned up one hundred forests. Magnificent, said Elizabeth. And the dragon took another huge breath, but this time nothing came out. The dragon didn't even have enough fire left to cook a meatball. Elizabeth said, Dragon, is it true that you can fly around the world in just ten seconds? Why, yes, said the dragon, and jumped up and flew all the way around the world in just ten seconds. He was very tired when he got back, but Elizabeth shouted, Fantastic! Do it again! So the dragon jumped up and flew around the whole world in just 20 seconds. When he got back, he was too tired to talk, and he lay down and went straight to sleep. Elizabeth whispered very softly, Hey, dragon! The dragon didn't move at all. She lifted up the dragon's ear and put her head right inside. She shouted as loud as she could, Hey, dragon! The dragon was so tired he didn't even move. Elizabeth walked right over the dragon and opened the door to the cave. There was Prince Ronald. He looked at her and said, Elizabeth, you are a mess. You smell like ashes. Your hair is all tangled and you're wearing a dirty old paper bag. Come back when you are dressed like a real princess. Ronald, said Elizabeth, your clothes are really pretty and your hair is very neat. You look like a real prince, but you are a bum. They didn't get married after all. When Lightning Comes in a Jar by Patricia Polacco. Today is my family reunion. I can hardly wait. My dad's side of the family will come soon. It's been ages since I've seen them all. Before, our reunions were always at my grandma's house, but this year it's going to be at mine. I'm so anxious to see my cousins, especially Lydia and Sandy. They will be wearing the same colors that we always wear at family reunions. They wore them at our last reunion. How I remember that day. Grandma and I stood at her front window waiting for my relatives to come. I can't wait to see them all, I said to her. I know, she answered. Will there be jello like there always is, I asked. Yes, she answered. And baseball and croquet like there always is. And bag races too. And we tell stories like you always do. 
might, Grandma said, looking up at the sky, and we might catch lightning in a jar. Lightning in a jar, I asked. This was new. And then my relatives started arriving by the carload, one after another. Finally, the car I was waiting for rolled up, and my five cousins pallid out. Sandy, Freddie, Billy, Lydia, and Carl. Sandy, Lydia, and I squealed and ran for the porch thing, just like we always did. We held hands and pushed the swing with our bare feet. We told secrets that we'd kept for a whole year. I told them about the lightning in a jar. When my daddy called out, who's going to help unload these baskets from the car? We shouted, we will. And we lugged baskets full and heavy to the tables in the maple grove. Wonder how many jello salads they will be, my cousin Freddie asked. Gazillions. There always are, my cousin Billy answered. Sure enough, there were gazillions. They jump and shook every time we bumped the table. They seemed alive. Bet there'll be as many meatloaves too, my brother chimed in. There were, as we unpacked them, zillions of meatloaves. They were all different too. Every auntie had her own recipe, including Aunt Bertha, who made one with a hard-boiled egg in the middle. When we cut it, there was a perfect slice of egg, like a giant eye. Our aunties and grandma flitted around the table like butterflies going from flower to flower. They perked up the lettuces or rearranged the tomatoes and sent slices of meatloaf so they looked perfect. When grandma and the aunties took off their aprons, we all knew it was time to gather at the table. We all held hands. Uncle Waylon said the blessing. Then everyone sat down and dove into the food, piling it high on their plates, some as high as haystacks. My brother Richie was sitting with some older girls that came with our older cousins. He was acting silly. I could tell he liked one of them. Embarrassing. When we thought we couldn't eat anymore, my grandma and my aunties put their aprons back on and started getting all the pies and cakes from the kitchen. There was something magical about my grandma and her sisters that day, like they knew something they weren't telling. I did wonder how grandma was going to catch lightning in a jar, and every so often I'd stop her and ask her how. She'd just smile and say, easy, someday you'll do it too. After we ate, it was time for our annual baseball game. My dad and uncles against us kids. Batter up, my dad called out as my cousin Billy stepped up to home plate. Luckily, he was on our team. He could kit anything. When he was out in the field, he'd leap into the air and make impossible catches. That kid can jump higher than a cow's back, our uncles used to say. First pitch out, Billy hit the ball so hard, it clean disappeared. We thought we saw lightning as it hit the sky. Maybe the lightning was on its way. Was that what Grandma was going to catch in a jar? I'm going to be a Detroit Tiger Sunday, Billy said that day. We all knew that he most certainly would. Next, it was time for croquet, the biggest game of the day, which our uncles kept interrupting with friendly quarrels about bent hoops, crooked wickets, and wanting to take reshots. We had bag races, watermelon seed spitting contests, and ride on Grandpa's draft horse, too, until Grandpa waved a yardstick in the yard. All the kids dropped what we were doing and ran to the milk shed. We knew it was time to get measured. We did this every year. I liked looking at the marks of my grandma and her sisters and brothers on the same doorway, some shorter than mine. Hard to imagine that once they were little, just like me. Aunt Bertha had gone to the house and fetched all the family portrait albums. The aunties showed us old brown photos and pointed. That was their father, who saved souls as a circuit preacher when he wasn't farming. Look, there were their favorite horses. Their eyes sparkled when they showed us their wedding pictures. The aunties were all married in their mother's parlor. I watched Grandma to see if she would summon the lightning from the sky. It's time for a family photo. Aunt Iva called out as she jumped up and grabbed her camera. 
We kids didn't like this part because it meant that any dirt on our faces would be scraped up with a hanky that our aunties had spit on, especially mine. Everybody smile, Aunt Iva sang out. After the kids, this, the kids started to chant, stories, 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 please. Grandma and her sisters and brothers started quiet and slow. Uncle Ernest told about milking cows faster than lightning. Grandma told about how she and her sisters walked seven miles to a one-room schoolhouse over in Lock Center and how each of them taught in that same school. Then there was some quiet as Aunt Iva started fanning herself. We knew she was getting ready. I remember the day I was driving the rig home from school when I came upon a real rattlesnake. We all looked at one another. Rattlers weren't around these parts, so we knew this was going to be good. That thing was all coiled up and shaking its tail. Not a rattling sound, something more like a loud buzz. Bell Horse just stood there and shook. What did you do, Aunt Iva, we asked. Well, sir, I stepped out of the buggy, took my umbrella, and put it smack in the middle of that snake, all coiled up. It just wrapped around that umbrella. I knew if it struck me, I was a goner. We all leaned forward. So I picked it up, gave the umbrella a sharp jerk, and flung that snake into Cecil Potter's field. Then I jumped in my buggy and galloped home like the wind. All of my aunts and uncles laughed. Then a flicker of heat lightning sprang out of the horizon. The air didn't move. Was some magic going to happen? Aunt Ada fluttered her fan. We knew she was getting ready to top Aunt Iva's story. Have I ever told you children about the time I took a ride in the first newfangled motor car in this here country? No, we kids sang out. Well, sir, it belonged to L.D. Dunkel. My pa didn't approve of him. No, never, no how. He's a wild kid, he'd rave. Don't never want to see you with the likes of him. Then one day when I was riding home from prayer meeting, he rolled up next to me driving the shiniest machine I'd ever seen. Aunt Ada stopped and fanned some more. What happened, Aunt Ada, we begged. Well, Aunt Ada crowed. I climbed right into that thing. L.D. shifted that contraption, making a terrible sound, and that roadster almost leapt right out from under us. It went so fast, my hat blew clean off. We were going almost 40 miles an hour. We raced up Moyer Road, hurled around Evie Peters' barn, almost flattened the Bender Sisters' fruit stand, and then howled down Dietz Road. We gasped. And when we skidded to a stop in front of Pa's barn, there he was, just to stand there. She stopped again and fanned herself. What did he do, Aunt Ada? What happened? We all pleaded. Not a blessed thing, she answered, and laughed so hard she almost dropped her lemonade. Heat nightling flickered again. There was a low rumble of thunder off in the distance. Now I watched my grandmother. She smiled and gave me a wink. It was her turn. Well, Sir Grandma began, I was but a girl out plowing, helping Pa with the fields. His team could pull these rows straight as an arrow when the team reared and bolted and dragged me halfway down the field before I could free myself. When I stood up, there was a fierce and clattering roar in the sky above me. We all leaned toward her. It was like thunder and fierce lightning. She stopped and sipped her lemonade. What was it, Grandma? We kids begged. I looked up, waiting for the lightning. Well, sir, I couldn't believe what I was seeing above me. We called, crawled close to her knee. There, like a giant dragonfly with two sets of wings, growling and roaring, pitching and rolling, spewing foul-smelling smoke, she leaned forward. It was the first-ever flying machine in the state of Michigan. We all clapped with, a, with delight. That would have been a perfect time for the lightning to come, but it didn't, and it was almost dark. I whispered to Grandma, what about the lightning in a jar? She adjusted her glasses and gave me a look. 
Have the last rays of sun left the grass, she asked. I looked real hard. Yes, I said. Then sit down, child. Aunt Bertha brought a wicker laundry basket full of glass candy jars and set them at Grandma's feet. Many years ago, when your aunties and uncles and I were but children, our grandpa showed us what I'm about to show you. She leaned down and touched the grass, cupping something in her hands. She thought for a moment, then said, Shadows lengthen, the day near done, birds fly low at setting sun. Stars will rise from earth below. In these hands their light will glow. Come up, lightning, come up, stars. We'll catch you in these here jars. She blew into her hands and let something go. It flew for a moment, then landed deep in the grass. We watched and watched, but nothing was happening. Low thunder rumbled just above us. Look, my cousin Billy called out. A small burst of starlight puffed out of the grass. Then more and more drifted up out of the carpet of lawn beneath our feet. Fireflies, we all called out. We grabbed the jars and the dash was on to cupper. Capture lightning and put it in a jar. Grandma gave me a knowing look and smiled. When everyone had gone home that night, Grandma and I sat on the porch swing together. We looked at the flickering jar. And even though fireflies are common in Michigan on summer nights, never had I seen so many as that night. As long as I live, I'll believe that somehow Grandma called them up with her stories and her magic. That night seems so long ago, but the reunion is here again. My family is arriving now. My heart is racing. We'll eat scrumptious jello and meatloaf, play baseball and croquet, spit watermelon seeds, and scrawl new measurements on my milk house door jam. We'll look at photo albums. We'll laugh at some and cry at others. We'll remember the stories, how Grandma saw the first flying machine and Aunt Iva conquered the Rattler. We'll talk about Billy and how he should have been a Detroit tiker, but gave his life for his country in a war far away. Then when the sun is low and the shadows long, we'll all sit and fan ourselves in the shade of the maple trees. Only a new crop of children will gather at our knees. My father, my grandmother, my aunts and uncles are no longer here. So it is we who must tell their stories and bring them back for fleeting moments. Then I will show the children the magic that my grandma showed me. I'll call the stars from beneath their feet, and as they rise in the warm night air, these children will leap as high as a cow's back to gather them up. I'll send them home with full bellies, tired bones, and flickering joys in jars in their laps. Their hearts will be overflowing, full of lightning put there by folks who loved them even before they were born. Grandma knew this well. She also knew that someday they would tell their children all about us and of the magic nights when we caught lightning in a The Keeping Quilt by Patricia Polacco. When my great-grandma Anna came to America, she wore the same thick overcoat and big boots she had worn for farm work. But her family weren't dirt farmers anymore. In New York City, her father's work was hauling things on a wagon, and the rest of the family made artificial flowers all day. Everyone was in a hurry, and it was so crowded, not like in back home Russia. But all the same, it was their home, and most of their neighbors were just like them. When Anna went to school, English sounded to her like pebbles dropping into shallow water. Shh, shh, shh. In six months, she was speaking English. Her parents almost never learned, so she spoke English for them too. The only thing she had left of back home Russia were her dress and the babushka she liked to throw up into the air when she was dancing. And her dress was getting too small. 
Her mother had so after her mother had sewn her a new one, she took her old dress and babushka. Then from a basket of old clothes she took Uncle Vladimir's shirt, Aunt Havala's nightdress, and an apron of Aunt Natasha's. We will make a quilt to help us always remember home, Anna's mother said. It would be like having the family in back home Russia dance around us at night. And so it was. Anna's mother invited all the neighborhood ladies. They cut out animals and flowers from the scraps of clothing. Anna kept the needles threaded and handed them to the ladies as they needed them. The border of the quilt was made of Anna's babushka. On Friday nights, Anna's mother would say the prayers that started the Sabbath. The family ate challah and chicken soup. The quilt was their tablecloth. Anna grew up and felt in love with great-grandpa Sasha. To show her he wanted to be her husband, he gave Anna a gold coin, a dried flower, and a piece of rock salt, all tied in a linen handkerchief. The gold was for wealth, the flower for love, and the salt so their lives would have flavor. She accepted the hanky. They were engaged. Under the wedding huffa, Anna and Sasha promised each other love and understanding. After the wedding, the men and women celebrated separately. When my grandma Carl was born, Anna wrapped her daughter in a quilt to welcome her warmly into the world. Carl was given a gift of gold, flowers, salt, and bread. Gold so she would never know poverty, a flower so she would always know love, salt so her life would always have flavor, and bread so she would never know hunger. Carl learned to keep the Sabbath and to cook and clean and do washing. Married you'll be someday, Anna told Carl. And again the quilt became a wedding huppa, this time for Carl's wedding to Grandpa George. Men and women celebrated together, but they still did not dance together. In Carla's wedding bouquet was a gold coin, bread, and salt. Carl and George moved to a farm in Michigan, and great-grandma Anna came to live with them. The quilt once again wrapped a new little girl, Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen called Anna Lady Grandma. She had grown very old and was sick a lot of the time. The quilt kept her legs warm. On Anna's 98th birthday, the cake was a Coolidge, a rich cake with raisins and candied fruit in it. When great-grandma Anna died, prayers were said to lift her soul to heaven. My mother and Mary Ellen was now grown up. When Mary Ellen left home, she took the quilt with her. When she became a bride, the quilt became her huppa. For the first time, friends who were not Jews came to the wedding. My mother wore a suit, but in her bouquet were gold, bread, and salt. The quilt welcomed me, Patricia, into the world, and it was the tablecloth for my first birthday party. At night, I would trace my fingers around the edges of each animal on the quilt before I went to sleep. I told my mother stories about the animals on the quilt. She told me whose sleeve had made the horse, whose apron had made the chicken, whose dress had made the flowers, and whose babushka went around the edge of the quilt. The quilt was a pretend cape when I was in the bull ring, or sometimes a tent in the steaming Amazon jungle. At my wedding to Enzo Mario, men and women danced together. In my bouquet were gold, bread, and salt, and a sprinkle of wine so I would always know laughter. Twenty years ago, I held Tracy Denise in the quilt for the first time. Someday she too will leave home, and she will take the quilt with her. Part-time princess. Girl by day, princess by night. By Deborah Underwood. During the day, I am a regular girl. I have to take spelling tests. My little brother breaks my crayons. I'm not allowed to jump off the high dive or stomp in puddles. But at night, after mom kisses me and tucks me in, 
I become a princess. At the stroke of midnight, a sparkling crown appears on my head. A magical staircase rolls down from my window. My coach awaits. There's usually an emergency. When we arrive, I get right to work. A real princess can slide down a fire pole in a frilly skirt. No one dreams of telling her it's too dangerous. Princess to the rescue. I save the kingdom, as usual. When I lasso the dragon, the townspeople cheer. Lock him up, they yell. But I have a different idea. I invite the dragon to tea. It turns out he's just crabby because his little brother melted his crayons. All he needs is a little cheering up and a fresh box of crayons. Then I go to school. A princess studies magical beasts, fencing, and circus arts. I pass my trapeze test with flying colors. Next, it's time for lunch. A queen from a faraway land is my guest. We eat three slices of pink cake, each. The frogs in the royal mud puddle invite us for a game of leapfrog. Of course, we say yes. Then it's time to get cleaned up because the royal ball is tonight. I dive into a giant tub with hot and cold running bubbles and a dolphin. The queen and I choose the perfect clothes. Her dress looks like the sky at sunset. My gown shimmers like starlight. Everyone gathers for the ball, even a troop of big, hairy trolls. Some of my subjects are frightened, not me, because I know that trolls love to dance. Strike up the band, I call. The ball is saved. I dance with the head troll and a very handsome prince. Maybe I'll marry him when I grow up, but right now I'm too busy. I have lots of fires to fight and lots of dragons to cheer up. After a long night, I head home and curl up in my own bed. In the morning, I find sparkles in my hair. You look tired, Mom said. Did you have a busy night? She winks. There are sparkles in her hair, too. That night, she texts me and, I'll see you later, I whisper.